the best enablers have this X factor. And sometimes, you know, I call it gravitas. But it's the ability to respectfully push back and fight for an idea or a priority. This is Go-To-Market Magic, the show where we talk to go-to-market leaders and visionaries about those aha moments they've experienced and also the pivotal decisions that they've made all in the name of growth. And we don't just mean revenue growth that goes up and to the right. But that's nice too. We're talking about how they improve their teams, their industries, their careers, and their lives because growth isn't quite what it used to be. I'm Heather Cole. And I'm Steve Watt. Let's uncover some of the magic that makes it happen. All right, Heather. Who are we speaking with today? Well, today's go-to-market visionary is Dave Lichtman. He is the founder and CEO of Enable Match, and that's a recruitment firm that specializes specifically in sales enablement roles. And today, he's talking about some aha moments when he realized that CSOs and other go-to-market leaders were needing to think differently about the criteria for the leaders that they were hiring into their enablement teams. We have a really good conversation today, and we go into everything from competencies to charters uh, and a few other surprises as well. Fantastic. Let's get started. Dave, we're going to start you off with a lightning round, okay? Uh, three quick questions, three quick answers. First off, what is one critical skill that an enabler absolutely needs to have? The, the biggest thing that I see almost universally is that enablement folks must be relationship builders. And when I talk to hiring managers or CROs, they're like, no, they have to about execution, all this stuff. I'm like, that's table stakes. But when we talk to people who have been in the role and struggled or been fired from their enablement role, and we peel back an onion layer after layer, more times than not, the ones who struggled had issues with their relationship building skills. And I feel like it more times than not, it comes down to that because enablement is a, it's a team sport. It's a relationship sport. And if you're struggling to do that, it's, it's going to be hard for you. Your greatest career regret. I think back when I was an enablement practitioner a long, long time ago, my company had been acquired by another company and we were stagnant. Enablement wasn't a priority for the, the new company. And I think I probably stayed there a year and a half, two years longer than I probably should have. And those were some key years in when you can move up and do different things. And I think I was a little bit stagnant for a couple of years. And that's, that was a miss earlier in my career. It's going to be really interesting as we ask that question to a lot of different guests, uh, how many answers are, I stayed too long versus I, I left too early. Yeah. Hindsight's an amazing thing. All right. Final lightning round question. What's your business superpower and what's your kryptonite? So Enable Match is a recruiting firm for sales enablement folks. And I think what we do uniquely well is we spent almost five years now getting to know all the enablement practitioners out there. And we've invested so much in getting to know them, their strengths, their weaknesses, what their dream job is, all that stuff really, really well over such a long period of time that when, when companies come to us, we're really efficient at helping them. Like I did a search last month. I filled their job in one hour. It took me one hour to find their person. So that's being able to weaponize and really use this, this history we've had is by, by far our, our superpower. But I would also say the flip side of that same coin is also a kryptonite in that it's a very costly way to run a business. It's very time and labor intensive, but I wouldn't change a thing. So Dave, you are the founder of Enable Match, which is 
probably the only, I think it's the only, and it's certainly the oldest, uh, recruiting and placement firm for specifically enablement practitioners and leaders. And because of that, you have this amazing, unique perspective, and you're such a champion for the function in the industry. And because of that unique perspective, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you've seen going on in the last 12 to 18 months, because we know 12 to 18 months ago, begging people to like think about changing jobs was a thing. And now it's completely different. What can you tell us about what you're seeing out there? Yeah, it is. It is like you said, it's a whole new world than it was a couple of years ago. And, and right now everything's been contracted, right? People aren't able to do what they could do before. And so if you're, if you're a company, it, it's, it's your choice on who to hire because for every job that you have, there's a line of people around the block waiting to take that job. And, and can, you know, to your point, con contrast that to two years ago when every candidate who has experience could easily have three, four, five offers on the table from which to choose and negotiate against each other. It's not that time anymore. Yeah. And is that, are you seeing that across all industries or is it specific to tech or, or is it something that we're seeing consistently across, across the market? I think it's most acute in tech because that's where we had the rapid rise a couple of years ago. And so we're having the, the fall now. I think other industries, it's happening, but not to the same degree as we see in tech. Yeah, definitely. Now, one of the impacts that we have seen, uh, you know, we work with EnableShip and there was a lot of entry level roles because there was not enough candidates out there to fill the roles. So people were doing buy versus build. So they were buying and training and, and skilling people up to be an enablement. And we're not seeing that anymore because there's so many candidates on the market. Does that reflect what you're seeing as well? Absolutely. For, for every job, you'll find people who are overqualified, who are looking to get a job because at a certain point, some people have been out of work for a good period of time and they will take a pay cut. They will take a title cut to get something. And I think any port in the storm, as they say. And so I think a lot of folks are, are taking roles to get roles, knowing that when things shore up, they might make a change. And I have to think that this is changing the way enablement leaders are thinking about their strategy. But do you think it's, I don't know, I, I think it might be a little bit misguided for the long term if you're underpaying and you're getting somebody who's way overqualified for a position when the market heats up. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I was, I was having the same discussion with somebody, and I think that's exactly right. That I think I, I was talking to a candidate, and they were saying that they had gotten an offer that was pretty much they knew was below market, but they took it because it was a good job and they liked the company. And I'm seeing a few people where I see the comp they're getting for the roles that they're taking. And it's a bit of a head scratcher. And I compare that to, you know, a year ago, two years ago, when people were really getting a premium for these enabling roles, and now they're getting underpaid. And I think it's sort of like two years ago when people took their pandemic jobs, and then all of a sudden, they, when the job market opened up, everyone said, all right, great resignation. I'm going to see you later. I'm going to go find my dream job or where I can do what I want to do. And everybody quit. And I feel like the companies who are underpaying now, because they can, We'll come to regret this in X number of months when things shore up because people are like, I'm out of here because I can make you know, 50K more and have a job that I like better. Absolutely. So one of the reasons 
not just your unique perspective overall, but one of the reasons uh, we reached out was because of a, a post that you had on LinkedIn, which was really talking about the competencies that CSOs are looking for versus what they should be looking for. What do you think CSOs are looking for now? Uh, and t- tell me a little bit more about that. I'll put into three categories. So two very concrete ones and one catch-all. So the first thing that I hear a lot is must have sales experience. And this, you know, for a lot of listeners, this might be a controversial thing is I don't think that sales experience should be mandatory for an enablement person. And there are many, many enablement folks out there who are some of the best folks out there who have never carried a bag, never sold a thing in their life. But those who haven't carried a bag, they must become a student of sales. They must become intimately involved in everything that the sales team does and have this insatiable curiosity about the sellers, the sales leadership, the selling motion, about the product, about the industry, about your customers, this this endless thing. And so they should be doing ride-alongs, if you have ride-alongs, or co-located sitting amongst the sellers or listening to, to gong or chorus calls, going to QBRs, like all those things. They must become a front row student in the class of sales. And if they're If they're not doing that, then it's going to be hard for them to do it. But I think if they can do that, they'll be okay. So I think sales shouldn't be mandatory uh, as long as they have this other thing. So that's one thing I hear a lot. And and my advice is always, I wouldn't exclude somebody who has everything else, who has that, you know, that you need them to have with curiosity. That's that's one thing. The second thing that I hear a lot is if, if you're a B2B SaaS company, you want somebody who has B2B SaaS experience because B2B is materially different than B2C and SaaS is materially different than non-SaaS. And so the both can be overcome, don't get me wrong, but I think a lot of them anchor on that point and there's some validity to that. So if a person doesn't have B2B SaaS experience, they need to have a plan to overcome that gap. So those are the two most concrete ones. And the thing that I think triggered my post a couple months ago was a lot of CROs, CSOs, they, they have a thing. They won't let go. So for example, it might be, we're a medic shop. Therefore, I want my head of enablement to be certified in medic or having delivered at X number of times. Or we're in the cybersecurity space. I want somebody who has cybersecurity experience. That's a must have. And, and my point to them is, I think they're over indexing on that thing at the expense of other things. I give a, a, a crude, silly metaphor that, that I think kind of makes it clear, at least to me. If I had a heart condition for my family, like I have a concern about my heart making it past age 55, whatever, I'm going to say my primary physician, I want to be a cardiologist because that's my biggest concern. And that makes, it makes perfect sense, right? That's my biggest concern. However, in six months, if I, I have a rash under my arm, I would say, hey, doctor, what do I do about this rash? And he's like, I did a germ rotation med school 20 years ago and I'm not really sure he's struggling or I'm like, Hey, I'm a runner. I have shin splints. And he's like, yeah, let me Google that. Or, you know, I'm a little bit depressed. I want to talk about some anxiety I have, like all those things. He's a little bit on his heels of like, that's not my thing versus a primary care physician who's used to handling all these various problems. I think that's again, if you over-index on the heart thing, you're, it's at the expense of these other things. And I think that kind of metaphor holds true for what you do if you say, 
this person must have medic. It might be at the expense of how well they run systems or how, they, how well they build teams or no content or no coaching. It's definitely a nice to have. And if you can get it, great. But I wouldn't over-index on that because it could be a costly thing for you. Dave, further on aligning with the CRO or the CSO, I've heard you speak before about you know the critical importance of the enablement leader being very tightly aligned with that leader. Makes sense. How does one approach the the potential trade-offs and tensions? You may have a revenue leader, especially in tough times, who's very fixated on this quarter's numbers, you know, next quarter's numbers. Meanwhile, you as the enablement leader are probably thinking longer term. You're thinking yep. about fundamental skills and, and fundamental processes that need to be nurtured and, and, and trained and embodied. How do you deal with that? tension. How do you push back without losing the, the trust of that sales leader? That is a very big question. And it's a hard one to answer. And the only way I can answer that is to say the best enablers have this X factor. And sometimes, you know, I call it gravitas, but it's the ability to respectfully push back and fight for an idea or a priority. And the head of enablement and the head of revenue must be able to sit down and come to an agreement on the priorities that enablement is working on right now. And you have to agree as a group that the long-term parties are important to be working on now or they're not. Or we have some near-term fires we've got to put out. But I think whether you use enablement charter or use more something more informal, there, there's got to be that consensus. And, and to your point, it is not easy when you have a, a CRO who's fighting for their job and trying to make their number. And, they, and you know, it could be an existential crisis for a company. So the stakes are very, very high. But the good enablers can be the calming effect. It's like as a parent, we're always taught to be like, we're the calm and the kids storm. I think sometimes enablement needs to be the ones who said, I hear you, Heather, that we've got to do a certification next Monday. However, and let's, let's talk about that. And I think being the kind of sense of calmness around them is, it's a hard thing to do, easy for me to say, but I think it's, it's that X factor that separates the, the good from the great. Yeah. The easiest way I found for enablers to lose their job is to say yes to everything. And that's, you know, you try to take on too much and you fail miserably in too many things. I, I talk about this all the time, Heather. I think that's, that's, it's such a good point. I think number one is when, when you say yes to everybody, first of all, you don't earn the respect because they're, you're just, they're, you're just, you're just the go-to person. They'll, they'll do whatever, you'll do whatever they, they ask you to do. You know, it's a phrase I learned a long time ago in my career. If, if everything's important, then nothing's important. And so if you have 10,000 priorities, then we don't really agree what a priority is because you can't. And it's in my, you know, the other, I use metaphors all the time. The metaphor I think about, it's the, it's the proverbial lifeguard who tries to save everybody and then they end up drowning. That, that's what the enablement leader can be if they can't say no to, to certain requests. I, I love that analogy. It's like, put your mask on first. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because you mentioned charter and it, it's been such a push in our industry over the last, I don't know, five years probably. And people saying, you have to have one, you have to have one. And so many enablers I see kind of respond to that negatively of saying, it's too formal for our organization or it's, you know, it's not what we need. 
you only wish you had a charter a year later when somebody hmm. says to you, why didn't you do this, that, and the other thing, you know, because you never actually sat down and had that formal conversation of that, hey, this is what we're here to do. Here's who we're doing it for. Here are the results that we can expect. And here are the resources we need to be able to do that. And just having that conversation, whether you write the charter or not, is so absolutely critical to be able to go back and say, here's why we didn't do those other things, because this is what we agreed to do. I view it oftentimes, it's more than the paper that it is, it's more of the forcing function for the conversation and the alignment. And so it's, it's just an excuse to get in the room and make sure we're aligned. And it's your point, making sure that we're all agreed on the priorities. It's like insurance, like no one likes paying premiums, but you're really glad you have it when you need it. And so I think having this as almost an insurance policy that, that we're aligned, that we had agreed on these priorities. And it just, it's the way to go. And then as, as people come at you for additional requests, you can say, cool. Now let's figure out what has to come off of the, this list if that's going to come on the list. And so it becomes a tool you use to not be the drowning lifeguard. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So back to thinking about what those, it's, it's competencies, but you also traits. I mean, I don't know that you can teach anybody curiosity. You can tell them to be more curious, but people who are naturally curious, who have an intrinsic motivation to learn things and get things done. Those are two things that I think for any role outside of enablement or in enablement are important, but they come, they really bubble to the top when we're thinking about enablement. It's funny, we did a survey about a year ago and curiosity was one of the things that we listed. We said, what are the highest traits? And curiosity actually was not in the top three. And I thought, well, that is a shame. <laughs> it makes my heart hurt. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, and I'll say, Heather, to your point, I'll, I'll generally disagree on one point. I, I think curiosity, it can be taught as, a, as, a, as an approach, a way of thinking about things and hearing phrases and saying, I didn't fully understand that. I got to pull that thread because there's something behind that that I'm not getting. And I think exercising that muscle is something you can learn through repetition and practice. I went through... Uh, Barry Ryan does a thing called Selling Through Curiosity. It's a, it's a methodology, it's a framework. I did it when I was at Salesforce and when I was at Salesforce, I've done it a bunch of times. And it, it changed my thinking about everything. And it, and it taught me to use those muscles that I had never used before. So I'm, I think it, it, it can be learned. And I think it, it is, to your point, it is such an important skill. If you have something in you that naturally does that to some extent, you're going to be much better at it. For sure. Yes. Some folks can do it naturally and it, it's effortless. It's like selling. For some folks, it's effortless. Some folks have to work at it and work at it and work at it. And so either way, as long as you're doing it, it doesn't matter how you get there. And one of the things you mentioned about understanding the sales force, I think one of the things with the, what we used to think of as ride-along or listen-ins uh, with those two things, it's coming from sales. One thing, I, and I, I'm a little biased, I did come from sales, but I think what it does is give you empathy for the role. So you don't become an enablement inflictor. And the worst thing that you can do is, is kind of get in that inflictment mentality of you must do, you must, you know, we're going to give you what we think you need, um, without really thinking about the true nature and reality of the job and what we're asking them to do. And that empathy though, I think listening in and riding along and making connections and networking with the folks that are doing it, will give you the empathy that you need to develop better programs. I, I completely agree. It's if you've done enough customer meetings with, with, with one of your AEs 
and you hear them going through the boilerplate slide deck. And then your CMO next week says, hey, I got this new brand new 64 slide deck I want to certify the whole team on. You're like, I heard how the four slides went. They're in no way ready to tackle 64 slides, much less with a client tolerate 64 slides. Maybe pare that down. And I think to your point is the empathy of like, that won't translate to sales. And so again, going back to the gravitas and pushing back on the CMO or the marketing side of like, that might not be the best idea for them because it's not going to translate the way you think it's going to. So you mentioned a, a couple of things where you, the competencies and traits that you're hearing, you know, when you think about the CSOs, if there's like one thing you would want them to know and think about with their requirements when they're hiring, what would it be? What would be the best piece of advice you'd give the CSO when looking to hire an enablement leader? It, a lot of it has to do with that relationship building skill and the experience I talked about before. But I, I think... There, there's also a strategic component of, of that leader and also of this chief sales officer hiring that person. And I, I think my, my biggest coaching to them would be, you know, start to think about the complexion of the team differently. And, and I would start to say, like, thinking about, about a hybrid enablement function. And when I say hybrid, I don't mean work from home, work from the office hybrid. I mean FTEs and hyper-specialized contractors who you bring in there for discrete jobs, discrete uh, projects that they do. Because I, my thinking is that type of approach, it's a whole new way of thinking about enablement as a motion, and it, it unlocks a lot of doors. It's huge because you know we've seen gig work and what fractional leaders and fractional positions really work well especially in marketing and other pieces of the go to market engine we're starting to see that rise up you've been dabbling in it a little bit yourself with your organization and is this really a strategy that we think can work for enablement is it something where you can bring in a fractional leader that might help set up or do a you know help even hire the next leader there's pieces that they can do when they don't they couldn't even afford maybe a, a really powerful leader what are the applications that you see here and do you think it's something where it will help the enablement community or will it not meaning it's going to become more fractional and more gig-based, and that's not necessarily the best thing for it. So a lot to unpack on this, because there's, it, it is absolutely applicable to enablement. And I'll give you a lot of examples, but I'll, I'll take a step back and say, I was really inspired four or five months ago for, for my business. I, did, uh, I had two projects. One was a QuickBooks reconciliation project, and one was a Zapier integration project. Just boring stuff, right? And... In the past, I've done the work and it's painful and I scream at my screen and it's frustrating and it takes me a lot of time. And I even have a systems guy who helps me with certain projects. He's super technical and really smart. He can do anything. He could have fumbled through it and figured out Zapier and figured out QuickBooks for my stuff. It all could have happened. But instead, I went, to, I went to Upwork and I said, well, can I find a QuickBooks expert? Yep, there she is, 50 bucks an hour, hired her for three hours, knocked out. And a Zapier expert for, I think, two to three hours and hired him at $70 an hour, and he knocked it out of the park. And my point was, I could have done both. My, both. my guy could have done both, but it was so much more efficient to hand that out to an expert who could come in there lightning fast, so efficient, and, and crush that project. And that really got me thinking about enablement that, we should be doing more of that stuff. Like, yes, when 
you know, people have been going on a maternity leave and we backfill them with a temp, perhaps. That's been happening for a while. But I'm thinking differently. I'm thinking about how do you bring in that expert for a certain thing? And it's like, again, if I'm having heart surgery, do you want to do you want to fly in the guy who's the, the world's best cardiothoracic surgeon in the world or the guy who's on staff at the hospital that night? Like you want the best. And I think that type of mentality is so applicable to what we're doing. If you have a team who's struggling with discovery skills or not curious enough, bring in an expert who has that turnkey and knock that out of the park. It's a discrete project. If your onboarding program is so-so, bring in somebody who can do the strategy for that. Teach your team how to up-level that. It makes a lot of sense and make it better. It's a discrete project. And to your, to your point, Heather, a second ago, if, if you have a, a mid-level enablement leader, and maybe they're first time running a team and they're good at the, the tactics, but not the strategy. Bring in a very senior person who coaches them X number of hours per week or per month on the strategic stuff, on the team, how to manage the team and upskill them as a leader and help them upskill the team. That's a great use of a couple of dollars to get the team up and running because this mid-level person is the one you can afford, but for a couple extra dollars, you can get the expertise to turn the dial on, on that person makes perfect sense. To the other side of that same coin is on, at lower levels, you can have discrete projects. I was approached by there two people. One was saying, I have all this content living on SharePoint. I want it chopped up and stuck in Lessonly. Give me a Lessonly expert. Fine. Very discreet thing. Give it to a person who knows Lessonly. Or we have force management. We rolled it out a year ago. We have their IP, the content. We need to chop it up and relaunch that. I need a person who knows force management. So again, the people who are coming in there doing this can be experts at this specific thing. They're scalpels, not Swiss army knives. And I think there's all these applications. And my, my biggest piece of coaching for CROs and CSOs is rethink how you use expert labor because there's so many applications here. Is that a, a, a short-term play while full-time headcount is scarce and available talent is plentiful or is that going to carry us forward? I know hopefully soon, but you know, before too long down the line in a stronger economy and stronger full-time headcount growth, do you see that model continuing to work or is it going to tip back the other way where the most skilled people are going to be looking for more of a permanent home? Yeah, I think both will happen. I think skilled people will have some permanent homes. Some folks will stay in the consulting side. I think this is a model will stick around. If you're a CRO who started bringing experts and you see the efficiency and, and frankly, the cost effectiveness of doing this way, you'll never say, all right, Heather, go out and learn good discovery skills and build a class on this and then roll it out. Like it's not the efficient way to go. So I think this hybrid model for those who start to experience it will stick around. And, and there'll be those who will, who are still think talent acquisition and the traditional model, and they won't go there. They're the people at Blockbuster holding on to their tape saying, be kind, rewind, this is our model forever. Like that's, it, it, people will still be traditional and that's fine, but I think those who start to experience it, much like I did as a business owner, never going back. Yeah, I think there's a commercial, I think, is it for Upwork or WeWork, where it's got the old guy who the old way of doing business and he's constantly talking about, you don't need to hire <laughs> He need to, okay. to fill the gap and it's kind of, you know, the same sort of thing. So uh, I think there's a huge opportunity here for 
I don't know, somebody like yourself to have a platform where people can source for it easily too, because I think that's been the gap in the past too, is that how do you find these people besides word of mouth? And there's a couple of organizations out there, but it's not the ease of use on it. I think it needs to be an easier process. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think there's traditionally been a trade-off. Like I was talking to somebody like six weeks ago or so, and he was saying for their bigger company and for their contract workers, they go to, to Robert Half, which is a great organization. They've been around forever. But he's like, but they don't know enablement. They're just workers, they're bodies, and they don't have the expertise that we necessarily need. And so we need to happen to people who are enabling people. And again, my, my perspective comes from the guy who started a successful business placing full-time people, and that still will persist, and it's a big part of it. But I think the combination approach is where it needs to go. And so for me, all these folks that I've gotten to know for almost five years now, I've gone back and said, hey, Heather and Steve, where are you an expert? What specific things are you a rock star at that you could, you're like, you're just a ninja? And, and knowing those things, then when people say, hey, I need that force management expert or that lesson the expert or an onboarding expert, like I know who those people are. And so this is not a plug as much as to say, you want to tap into those ninjas, those experts for these projects. And so however you do it, that should be your flexible way of moving forward because A, it's more effective and B, it's more cost effective. Oh, that was great. I'm so glad we had the opportunity to speak with Dave. He, he brings such a, a fresh perspective and, and so much experience in this space. Yeah, he really does have a unique perspective because he talks to literally hundreds of people in the enablement function um, every year, and he sees the whole spectrum. He sees it from a leadership perspective. He sees it from an enabler's perspective. And I always loved to talk to Dave. You know, one of my biggest takeaways here, and one of the things, reasons we had him on was because of his perspective on, hey, CSO, you might be looking for the wrong thing. You need somebody who is a general contractor that understands the big picture that can bring it all together and bring those specialists in as needed and make sure that the folks that they have on their team either have the skill set, they can upskill them, or they can bring somebody in. And that fractional piece of it was so interesting, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. That jumped right out at me. I mean, I, I'm more a, a marketer by education and by profession more so than an enabler. And that's so true in marketing. I mean, there is just so much you need to know. And, and really, it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, for anyone to be great at everything. And that idea, I, I love your, your general contractor perspective. I'm going to bring in the plumber. I'm going to bring in the electrician. I'm going to bring in the carpenter. I'm going to bring in the waterproofing expert. I don't have to be the expert at everything. I just need to understand the needs, understand the business needs. And then, as Dave said, you know, have a way to tap the right person at the right time to deliver that expert skill. I think it's a really interesting way that I think we're going to see a lot of business functions moving that way going forward. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's also an opportunity. I mean, you've seen the, really the growth of the fractional CMO business where people, the companies are maybe too small to really have a CMO yet, but they need to start building that foundation. And what we've seen in the past is when, especially high growth companies that get an influx of capital and they say, oh, we need to go out and hire 
all of these people, but we don't even have a leader yet. We need the foundation in place and we need to source somebody really good. We don't know if we can afford quite yet that high caliber person bringing in that fractional leader like they do on the CMO side really might have a lot of opportunity and it might also be something that people want to do as a career, not just as a placeholder, oh, I'm going to be a fractional, because it's so interesting going into these different organizations and kind of setting it up for success. So, Oh, absolutely. Being the right person with the right skill at the right time can be very lucrative. The economics can work very well for the organization, but also for the individual. You know, another thing that I just, that really got me is, is the importance of the enablement charter as, as a way of managing that friction between short-term needs and long-term needs, as we discussed, and to give you the, the backbone with which to say no to things that are not mission critical and to really help your enablement function truly stay focused. Is, is that something in your experience, Heather, that a lot of companies have, or is, is that a gap? So it was, I would say, Sales Enablement Society probably four years ago at their conference, three or four years ago, had a really big push on this charter piece of it, of building a business inside of a business and making sure that you have the expectations set. And some people really bought into it and said, yes, you absolutely must do this. And the people that did it were the ones that A, had done it in the past, or B, hadn't done it and realized that they really needed one in retrospect, because nobody's going to go out and say, I'm going to spend all this time doing this charter and put it in a drawer. It has to be something that's kind of living and moving and, and working. And oh, by the way, it is your best friend a year later where you can take out and say, this is what we said we would do. This is what we did. Here are the other things that we did on top of that. And you're not in a defensive position to say, here's why, you know, you, you, we didn't know do all these things. But here's why, because this is what we agreed to. This was our charter and this is what we got done. It's also something that is a little bit scary when people are too black and white about it and they say, nope, not doing it. It's not on the charter. That's a recipe for disaster as well. But we are seeing it definitely as a foundation of enablement organizations, especially after they become like more than one or two people, but they're very, very useful in making sure that you're also looking and saying, Hey, I want to do all these other things that you want us to do, but to be able to execute on this and also do that, I need more resources. And here's what that looks like. So I've found that people that have charters have a much easier time making the case for more resources. If you want more stories like this one, follow the show on YouTube or on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to dig even deeper into these topics, check out gotomarketmagic.com for our hand-picked resources and recommendations from both Steve and I.